With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. When the whole world seems turned upside down, we sort through it together. Tyler Nixon on today's News Talk TNT. Happy Monday, my friends. It is Monday, February 5th, 2024. And this is the Tyler Nixon Show here on today's News Talk. And we have uh, a great show lined up for you to kick off the week. And it's going to be a great week of guests as well. Uh, my friend Doug Beatty, who's uh, I, I broke my teeth or cut, excuse me, cut my teeth, I should say, in uh, in terrestrial radio back in uh, Delaware about 10 years ago he was um he was a primary host on the uh the, the station we were on together and um he became a very good friend um uh, Doug Beatty and his uh, you know his father actually was uh is probably more uh well known to uh to a lot of people frankly a lot of people who anybody who grew up in the 70s or lived in the 70s 80s and 90s um his father is actor Ned Beatty who played uh a number of uh number of frankly um uh, seminal roles, I guess. I mean, I guess you could say, uh, in, in the movie deliverance, he was the, unfortunately the, the, uh, uh, the, the canoe canoe trip, uh, uh, participant who gets raped. Um, I hate to say it, um, <laughs> but, uh, which, which actually I think, uh, expressed Ned's, uh, ability as an actor to be able to play such a difficult role. Uh, but he did it with Burt Reynolds and, uh, um, John Voight as well. And uh, I think Ronnie Cox, uh, a great film, but he also did a bunch of other films. Uh, he played uh, Otis in uh, the super original Superman to Lex Luthor's uh, Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor. And uh, he he uh, is uh, a memorable, but one of those guys who sort of when character actors began to wane, uh, guys like uh, Jack Warden, who, you you know, uh, oh gosh, what's uh, I'm trying to think of it. Hal Holbrook. Um, Burgess Meredith, those sort of very memorable actors, if you grew up in that time, who would uh, play these, uh, they no matter what role they played in a movie, they they always had that same, you know, that's why they're character actors, they had that same sort of style about them, uh, just very, uh, had, had a uh, very memorable uh, personality and way of um, way of delivering lines and playing, playing roles and had, usually had great range too, they could play anything from the, a villain to uh, a doofus to, uh, you know, whatever, whatever have you, a comical character. So anyway, uh, Doug is going to be joining us uh, in, in a few here. And uh, he, we're going to talk about uh, he, he actually had some time to uh, work for the Trump organization when uh, Donald Trump owned a casino in Atlantic City. So that will be very interesting. And I think there's some things to he he, uh, he witnessed that are inconsistent with the, uh, the view that it's been painted in the uh, mainstream narrative about Donald Trump whether it be that he's a racist or he's a, a poor businessman. Um, and uh, Doug is also just a very, uh, uh, he's a very, uh, I, he's he's funny, he's irreverent. Um, he's always been a brawler against the system. He fought battles against state government and uh, hand in hand, we often would uh, take on issues in the state of Delaware at the time on the radio and uh, tag team and try to, try to get some movement uh, away from sort of the, institutional corruption and the same old same old that we were uh constantly being treated to as that state has slid into a democratic oblivion 
basically for the last 25 to 30 years, unfortunately. It used to be a more bipartisan state. Uh, and when it was run by Republicans, they had managed to uh, really uh, build out economic development. But since then, once the Democrats sort of got a lock on it and took over, uh, as the Republicans, I think, uh, were sort of relying on these old, uh, older politicians and incumbents and weren't building out the uh, grassroots of the party, the Democrats took over. And naturally, they have uh, this. This is unfortunately what happens. They have a patronage. Uh, first of all, they have multiple layers of government. So this was one of the things that I just was shocked about um, when people uh, would talk about raising taxes at the county or state or even federal levels that when you live in a state like Delaware, you're you're hit from all sides. Basically, it's it's layered. It's you have as I did live in the city of Wilmington, you have the city government, county government, state government, federal government, and every one of them wants a piece and they're uh, really don't care what the other is doing. So, you know, it doesn't matter to them that your federal taxes have been raised. Um, and, you know, this this also feeds an entire system which uh, resulted in the largest employer in the entire state of Delaware is the state of Delaware. So, you know, it really is a sort of Democrat patronage uh, uh, system or, or uh, way of doing things, a framework that is unsustainable. I mean, when you're talking about you have a state of maybe 850,000 people and you have 70,000 government workers, you're talking one government employee for every uh, roughly you know 10 10 residents of the state maybe a little maybe a little more than that but um it's just unsustainable it's the usual democrat model they strangled and i say this as someone who i'm saying this be, not just to, to enlighten you all on wilmington delaware or delaware generally but just because this is what uh this is you know the, the paradigm we've seen all around the country where Democrats take over any it doesn't matter what the jurisdiction is it can be a county it could be uh, you know, a village, it could be a city, small or large, but what they do is they attain uh, absolute control over it uh, through, you know, for whatever reason, I don't know, urban voters to just, you know, that's just the way it's been, the way it's developed over the last hundred years, but, um, and they tend to get uh, complete unilateral control within the party. Now, in the case of like Wilmington, Delaware, you had one uh, city councilman out of the entire city council at an entire government who had to be from the quote opposite party. Um, in other words, a Republican, which kind of, uh, begs the question, what about the other parties, the libertarian party, the constitution parties, there's other parties in Delaware. So, uh, they kind of overlooked that little aspect of it, but that being said, and what you tend to get was a Democrat and a, a true rhino in the sense that, uh, what they would do is take a the least onerous, I guess, or well-known Democrat and just have them switch parties. And then they'd be the Repu only Republican uh, who had to be on the council by mandate. And what we saw was, particularly in the city of Wilmington, Delaware, was a complete patronage system that was bloated beyond anything that was uh, ever needed for that city, a city of maybe 75 to 80,000 people with a multi- uh, I mean, the government was totally out of control. It was a hundred and some million dollars a year uh, budgeting. Um, you know, you had a mayor who had a multi-person staff running around with his own vehicle uh, issued. And I mean, at the same time, they were often missing payments on things like the the leasing, the, the police cars and the fire engines leased. They were constantly uh, uh, blowing money on uh, sort of economic development and uh, boondoggle projects to to um, 
purportedly to try to build the city's uh, economic development, but at the same time, were uh, enacting uh, revenue grabbing policies that were driving people out of the city, such as a you know an onerous and excessive and and uh, frankly oppressive parking ticket system um, where you couldn't you couldn't park anywhere for more than uh, probably a couple hours and one way or another they were going to issue you a parking ticket that would start at 25 or 40 dollars but before you know it after you know maybe a couple of months they would they would have escalated it to over a hundred dollars and um, you know these are the kinds of things that Democrats basically they get into these government positions and what what uh, it was driven my frankly uh, resistance and hostility and opposition to the Democrat Party generally, um, is just the total lack of accountability from these people. Um, they have, they, for example, the city of Wilmington was once a vibrant city. Uh, they had multiple industries that had been uh, cited there, not least of which was uh, credit card companies that were brought in by Governor Pete DuPont's um, Financial Center Development Act in the 1970s. And there were, just, it was just a bustling city. And again, you can just replicate this as anywhere you look around the country. And they strangled it to death. I mean, they literally strangled it to where it's a ghost town at nights. Uh, it's basically just a business district during daytime and daylight hours. It's surrounded by uh, declining rundown ghettos where there's shootings and drug transactions out in the open, unsolved murders, robberies, you know, everything that basically drives the rest of anybody who may have been some sort of pioneer thinking they're going to gentrify or be involved in the gentrification of the city drives them all out. Uh, and to where the city of Wilmington became the largest uh, landholder because they were uh, they also had another one of their schemes or scams was to uh, start assessing vacant property fees. So if someone who was holding a property, uh, one of these row houses like like they have in these um, sort of these uh, older cities, as if you know uh, any east eastern seaboard city like Baltimore, Philadelphia, lots of uh, side by side brick townhouses that are only maybe or townhouses, row houses that are maybe two stories high, they're never going to be any more than they are. And they lend themselves to a completely degenerate and degenerating ghetto environment. And, um, you know, the city basically, if someone was sitting on properties, maybe to renovate or to whatever they were doing, um, if you held it too long vacant, uh, they would start imposing fines and ultimately would seize the property. So, uh, and of course, after seizing these, then they began giving the way to people within the patronage uh, system in the government. So, you know, the wife of city council member so-and-so would get be granted a property, an entire house. I mean, in, in some cases they were decent houses worth probably, to, you know, six figures or more, especially if you consider uh, today's housing market. Um, but this went on and on until they, until Wilmington is like a ghost town and it's sad, very sad because it, you know, for those of us who knew it as a young city uh, or not a young city, but as, as when we were young and when it actually still had the uh, vestiges of the pre uh, 1968 riots, the pre-civil rights era riots that uh, basically began the, what's called white flight out of the city. And it was uh, it was bustling. It was economically prosperous. And Democrats, with their usual, uh, you know, believe that the golden goose will never stop laying eggs, so they can just uh, uh, pilfer as much as they can out of the treasury. And with these uh, political careers, you know, nobody should be in a city council the size of, say, for a city the size of Wilmington, which is seventy-seven thousand. Nobody should be able to live uh, completely on on that job, whether it be city council or mayor. But yet, that's the case. And, um, you know, this is what they're doing across the country. Um, and it's it, it's 
often irreversible because once you've once you've drained a city out, once you've turned it into a crime infested ghetto, um, there's no going back. Nobody's going to want to go back in there and invest. I mean, you're you're putting everything on the line, um, and it and in many cases, the attempts to gentrify or improve the city uh, is often just uh, ends up being just more wasted money down the tubes. So, you know. I guess the uh, hopefully someday the country will wake up as I see, think we're waking up now on a national level and seeing what the Democrats are about and realize what they've done to the cities, uh, what they what they do to everything they touch. And I don't say that as a partisan, uh, uh, you know, team red, team blue deal. I mean, the Republican Party, frankly, has got plenty of problems and I have plenty of issues and had plenty of issues that I aired when I was uh, back in uh, party activism about what the Republican Party does or doesn't do. I think it's the only place, though, that has anybody left in our uh, system of government that is even worth a damn and is uh, really cares about any of the principles. I think the rest you have basically a, a half rhinos in the Republican Party and the Democrat parties can become the party of the fascist uh, authoritarian juggernaut, the, the criminal syndicate of a party now under uh, you know, Joe Biden and his likes. So um, just a real quick note, actually, on election issues, uh, perhaps a good uh, omen from the Supreme Court of the United States. Jenna Griswold, in this, uh, in, for, who is the Secretary of State of Colorado, uh, which is where I reside, uh, at least part-time, and where this broadcast is coming from. The Secretary of State, Jenna Griswold, who is an odious, uh, very partisan and corrupt individual who is behind the, uh, the uh, disgusting persecution and prosecution of Tina Peters, the Mesa County clerk, who attempted to uncover and frankly did uh, uh, uncover evidence of uh, tampering and fraud involving the uh, Dominion voting machines in Mesa County, attempted to preserve the record there, was subsequently arrested, raided, treated like uh, some sort of um, you know terrorist criminal um, when she was just trying to preserve the record as, as is needed to be done by federal law when they were coming in and uh, uh, trying to install updates which would erase all the election data. Uh, Tina was is a brave uh, lady, and she's going on trial this month. Uh, just in a couple of weeks, there will be coverage uh, from my on this show of her trial, which I think is a travesty. Uh, she's facing multiple felonies, um, and it's just it, uh, much of this is driven by this uh, this Secretary of State here, Jenna Griswold, another leftist Democrat partisan whack job, similar to uh, Katie Hobbs in Arizona. It seems like these, uh, you know, a lot of these Democratic uh, women elected officials are the uh, absolutely just beyond corrupt. And it seems as though it's like they'll they'll do anything uh, and say anything to hold power. And they're utterly uh, completely uh, uh, they've no there's no accountability. You'll never drag accountability out of them. Um, and this is the case with this uh, Griswold woman. But the good omen is that the Supreme Court of the United States, after she submitted uh, no less than, I believe, two briefs, at least on the Donald Trump uh, ballot removal question in Colorado. Uh, you know, she was one of the crew, uh, probably uh, one of maybe a few top elected officials who absolutely said, yes, it was insurrection. And yes, Donald Trump is not qualified to be on the ballot, blah, blah. And she's actually, you know, obviously responsible for a secretary of state managing and uh, uh, ensuring that the ballots are, are properly uh, you know, properly created, properly uh, uh, promulgated, what have you. And she is obviously someone who is against Trump and is you know, hell bent on seeing he's not on the ballot. She asked for time to argue before the Supreme Court in, in their hearing of this case, uh, which is on appeal from the Colorado Supreme Court. 
And after asking for enlargements of time and for, cause she needed to have more time to, uh, to flesh out the nuances of Colorado uh, election law, the Supreme Court gave her 10 minutes and did not in, give her any more than that. Cut her, limited her strictly to that. Now, usually oral arguments can run anywhere from an hour to two hours, but usually some, somewhere at least like an hour on each side, roughly. For the fact that they gave her only 10 minutes, I think uh, is, is a good sign, I would hope, that they're not interested in hearing any of her arguments or any of her uh, assertions that uh, would, would uh, you know, paint Donald Trump as an insurrectionist and, and frankly would paint any state official uh, or would allow any state official to uh, to remove someone from the ballot arbitrarily or otherwise, that this is not a, a state question. Uh, this is the president of the United States you're talking about. And this is uh, this issue would be thrown to uh, all sorts of craziness and all sorts of uh, disjointed opinions, um, as we've seen the cases already. Some some many courts have, frankly, in uh, state courts, states, high courts have uh, wisely rejected attempts to remove them from the ballot and others, as in Maine. Uh, you have a secretary of state her, there who arbitrarily, just uh, unilaterally, seem it would seem after just almost no process whatsoever, simply just said he was not going to be included on the ballot. So I think Trump is ultimately winning these and the momentum is on his side. I would be surprised and shocked and appalled if the Supreme Court somehow affirmed uh, the Colorado Supreme Court's decision and allowed the states individually to make these decisions in terms of uh, the, the balloting and the qualifications to be uh on the ballot for president. So we'll keep an eye on that and we'll keep you updated on that. Uh, but right now we're going to take a little uh, short uh, break for some commercial messages. Uh, and after that, we'll have Doug Beatty. You're listening to the Tyler Nixon show on today's news talk TNT radio. Stay with us. TNT's Misty Winston. She says, how is anyone still talking about October 7th? What Israel has done since October 7th is many times worse than what happened on that day by any conceivable metric. The only way to feel otherwise is to believe Israeli lives are worth many times more than Palestinian lives. How is Israeli suffering still being centered over vastly less significant acts of violence three months ago, while ex exponentially worse violence and suffering is being inflicted by Israelis right this very moment? If your nation is attacked and you respond to that attack by immediately murdering thousands of children with incredible savagery, then you forfeit any right to expect anyone to give a shit that your nation was attacked. Israel responded to the Hamas attack by doing something much, much worse than anything Hamas has ever done. And in doing so, completely delegitimizing itself as a state and completely validating everything the Palestinian resistance has been saying about the state of Israel since day one. Misty Winston on today's News Talk TNT. A better business tip from TNT Radio. One reason people tune in to TNT Radio is often because they're loyal to a specific show or personality. Our personalities have been a part of people's daily routine, and people continue to tune in. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page, and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Unbiased information. Honest and forthright. News without the misinformation. It doesn't matter what side you're from. What matters is what you say, the truthfulness behind it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to the Tyler Nixon Show here on today's News Talk, TNT Radio, uh, where we have the blockbuster guests, the blockbuster hosts, and uh, a great 24-hour uh, program uh, programming uh, schedule. And uh, I, I would urge you to check it out. Uh, following this show, we have State of the Nation with Steve Hook and uh, Brian McLean Hesher, my good friends. 
Uh, that's a two-hour long stretch, and boy, are they getting some really blockbuster big-time guests on that uh, on that show. I'm I'm really excited for them, and it's uh, it, it, I really feel honored to be uh, preceding them. And uh, I, they're they're gonna I'm gonna have to try to keep up because they're definitely uh, uh, it's it's an exciting show. It's got that that sort of extra. I don't know what you tell Doug, my friend Doug, who I'm bringing in, will know what I'm talking about. It's like that extra energy that comes in when you're really hitting on all cylinders in radio. When you've got a you know a great uh, a great team or duo, and and you bring on great guests, it just really uh, it makes it exciting. It uh, time flies, but we hope to be uh, we hope to be bringing that sort of vibe to you here on the Tyler Nixon Show in in the uh, in the days ahead. And um, I just want to introduce my friend Doug and bring him in. Uh, Doug Beatty is. Uh, what Doug Beatty? What are you? You're, you're a professional agitator. Um, I'll let you introduce yourself. I've I've heard it described variously by various people in in Delaware. There are a lot of words that aren't really FCC or family friendly that were used <laughs> to describe us. I remember the one time we did a radio show together in Delaware. Uh, according to our management, we shut down the whole state or something like that. I don't know. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, there there was some. Uh, I think they were a bit uh, uh, histrionic about when we when we would get on together, but uh, no, it was great. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, you know, we we uh, yeah. The, look out for look out for the leftists or the uh, the the just the general uh, jerks who would try to call into the uh, station because um, well, we double team really them. That's funny man. because uh, I got into Delaware um, politics as a lifelong Democrat, and uh, the first thing that happened when I was running for office was I started investigating allegations of lynchings in Dover, Delaware in 2012, which seemed kind of odd, but I wasn't able to disprove them as uh, the long story made short there. So right off the bat, I was on federal watch list for associating with dangerous black nationalists like Io Kamathi, aka the irritated genie, who uh, famously <laughs> got fired after he said he was going to have to kill a whole lot of white people if there was a race war. And um, I believe I actually got him on WGMD for a couple hours there a couple times. So well, that was quite an accomplishment. We we tore up some stuff. And I would have to say that I'm pretty much a retired agitator at this point. Although um, every time I try to get out, they pull me back in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Now you've settled in Tennessee. Is that right? Yeah, but at an undisclosed location, um, not far from where I was born, up the road. It's not. In it's not even. It's not even on maps, right? So uh, no, it's um, yeah, it's, it, it's a forgotten piece of America called the state of Franklin, and okay. uh, we think that my ancestor came through here, John Nicholson, who was a private in New Jersey, and he retired out as a lieutenant in North Carolina. Now, we know that this happened because of his widow. She was one of the first people in America to get welfare. So my pedigree is pretty solid as an Appalachian American. <laughs> okay, so, um, you know, you used to talk about how you were, you said you were raised by wolves and liberals. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about growing up about your dad? Well, I was um, basically the product of opposite casting at the Barter Theater in the summer of 1960. I was uh, intended to be a fling. And it uh, fling beyond flang. I ended up being raised in a trunk by actors, hippies, wolves, and communists. That's what it was. <laughs> I can remember in um, 1968 or 69, when the handgun ban in D.C. was passed, I remember partying with uh, the people that raised me. Dick McKenzie, he played the judge on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. 
He was playing with blue crabs in the bathtub with the toothpaste thing, teasing them. And we feasted <laughs> and we just we had a great time. And I have to tell you, years later, in 1992, when I was a special police officer taking the last words of a 15-year-old at the Potomac Gardens high-rise buildings, I had a much different idea of unilateral personal disarmament. And that's kind of where the, the chink started coming. And it came full circle in 2012 when I got involved with politics. And uh, my own party tried to have me locked up, basically. Senator Tom Carper called the Capitol Police on me, not knowing that my late mother had been friends with the chief. So that didn't work out quite the way they planned. But I became an independent. And uh, now it looks like I'm on the right wing watch list. So I've made all yeah. the big watch lists, you know, all the important <laughs> ones. Yeah, no kidding. Um, well, you know, your dad wasn't uh, I mean, your dad was. He was he was a lefty, but he wasn't he wasn't a raging political activist, though. I mean, as, as I remember, I don't recall. I mean, I'm sure like, well, you know, he, he ran in those circles, but I don't know that he was. Well, you, t you tell us, was he? He was always an activist actor. See, arena stage in D.C. was theater in the round. And it was always very, very political. But actors have always been toys of the aristocracy and theater has always been somewhat political. So my dad's activism would be like his last major role was uh, Senator Meacham in the movie Shooter with Mark Wahlberg. And he played right. a corrupt Wyoming senator. And he just had all his little cliched. He, he got his digs in at the gun people when they found a gun on him. He said, I don't carry a gun normally, but I have a permit for it. You know, um, that was his kind of activism. And in his later life, when um, he reconciled with me, we were estranged for 26 years. And wow. then when he found out he was having dementia, he wanted to reconcile with me. So we started talking on the phone. And that's when I got into politics and I told him that I had to trade on the name and asked him for his forgiveness and he gave me his blessing. Hmm. So he was well, always know, an activist and he was a big uh, fan of ours when we were on radio. Oh, really? That's cool. I never, I never, wasn't aware he was, he was listening at that time, but uh, well, I was noting that, you, you know, your dad was one of, comes from sort of that, that uh, long line of, uh, well, a, a large, uh, let's just say uh, uh group of character actors who sort of from the 50s to maybe the 90s early 90s dominated american cinema and, and to a lesser extent television guys like uh jack warden hal holbrook i said burgess meredith and your dad was definitely amongst them you know he could play the villain or he could play like the goof like in uh, superman when he was otis and you know one of the roles and unfortunately i was going to get a clip together that I only found out recently or only noticed recently that he played was, I guess, the executive, uh, the corporate heavy in the movie Network, if anybody's yeah. seen that from, I believe, 1976. And I just I, I I had no idea he was in it. I'd sort of watched the film probably when I was too young to really comprehend uh, or, or to really understand or, or get the, the oomph out of it. But if anybody doesn't know, Network is, uh, I don't know, maybe you can describe it better than I can, Doug, um, but it's sort of a commentary on, it's a cynical look at, or more like a cynical but hard-eyed or realistic-eyed look at uh, the the state of, of network television and sort of the corporate world and what drives everything, uh, you know, and, and sort of uh, through the eyes of this uh, this newscaster who's a sort of talking head who toes the company line, who kind of loses it and sort of becomes a populist. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to give the movie away if you haven't seen it, but your dad plays the heavy and he gives a speech in the corporate boardroom, which is 
I mean, it's gripping. It really shows his range as an actor. And not, do you do you recall much of that? Because I actually just watched it, and unfortunately, I couldn't get a clip together quickly enough. But um, oh yeah, those... that's um, that's a pretty easy clip to find on the YouTube's. That was Dad's only speaking part in the movie. He had the shortest yeah. part of anybody in the supporting actor category that year, and he got nominated for an Oscar in Best Supporting Actor along with Burgess Meredith, Sir Lawrence Olivier, and Jason Robards. And that wow. was kind of like a high and a low point for me because just be mentioned with those three is something else. And he was so young in 1976, he was just coming out of it. But his attitude, the ego had gotten really out of hand. He was oh, incensed geez. that Tatum O'Neill called him Ned Beatty instead of saying oh, Beatty. Yeah. Which, Listen, I mean, Doug, we're, we're, I'm sorry to interrupt, but hold that thought. We're going to take a look, quick look at a little news break here for just a minute. You're listening to the Tyler, I'm watching the Tyler Nixon show on today's news talk. TNT. Here's what's making news. TNT Radio News. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban hopes the newly approved 50 billion euros EU aid package for Ukraine will be used to support civilians and prevent the collapse of the state rather than further militarization. The British Royal Navy's HMS Queen Elizabeth, its largest military vessel, will not participate in the upcoming NATO war games due to an unexpected issue with one of its propeller shafts. Chile is grappling with severe forest fires that erupted two days ago, predominantly impacting the central region. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab, or Getter? Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's news talk tnt radio and we are back and this is the tyler nixon show here on today's news talk your place for all the best uh analysis opinion and news coverage of the day's events my guest my friend doug Beatty. we were talking about uh talking about the old hollywood days and your father's uh you know i mean i don't want to overshadow your life but i mean i think it's just an interesting look into uh, an era that's bygone. I mean, he, he did he win the Oscar, Doug? You were telling us he was uh, he was no, no, uh, nominated. He was, sense. He was oh, just bet. very mad that he didn't win, and he was very mad that Tatum O'Neill said Beatty instead of Beatty. And um, really, if you have that last surname, you're going to change the pronunciation based on the wanted posters in the town you're in. So yeah, so he he was only uh, his. I guess breakthrough role as a as a uh, film actor, he was a, a stage actor as well. Was a Deliverance, which was I believe 1972. Is that right? It's sometime around there. I I remember that it came out on television the year I had to dress out in a locker room. So that's that's right in the <laughs> in the in yeah. the time zone. That kind of made me the way I am. But Dad's whole thing about that, um, when I talked to him about it, because I wasn't real happy about it, is he said that 40 percent of rapes that happened in America then and still now are male on male. And most of them don't get reported. That's true. And That's he true. thought that the movie was about man's inhumanity unto man, yeah. which I thought was a pretty good takeaway. Um, you know, our, our current president had a different idea of that I don't know if you remember the 2013 flap when, um, <laughs> you know, he was saying squeal like a pig and, uh, yeah. He got into the sheriff's fight in Delaware saying the guys didn't go to the sheriff because they didn't want to get raped again. And, you know, I had to respond. But what are you going to do? The guy's the vice president of the United States. You know what I mean? So yeah, I, yeah, I brown nosed my way into that job uh, on the radio where we met, as our, our good friend Roger Stone would say. I brown nosed my way into that. And I got on the air and I had two of the big attorneys in the state 
Julianne Murray and John Brady, a Republican and a Democrat, and they were going into business together. So we're going to do an, a commercial that doesn't sound like a commercial. And the first thing I did was I put on my announcer voice, and they both got terrorist and said, well, before we get into Murray and Brady at law, and they're like, oh, no, what's he going to do? I said, I've got one question for my brother, Phil Roberts, and, you know, the Duck Dynasty guy that made the controversial comment about alternative lifestyle people. And I said, Brother Phil, I just want to know, have you ever been in the same room with our current Attorney General, Bo Biden, and our former governor, Ruth Ann Minner? Because that's a close call, cousin. And um, yeah, people ran off the road. The attorneys <laughs> had gasping, turning red fits. But it was fun. And guess what? Um, Joseph Robinette Biden the second left off telling Ned Beatty jokes on that day. So it was effective. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Julianne Murray is going to be a guest here on the, the Tyler Nixon show. I, I haven't... Uh, confirmed a date yet but she will be joining us she is currently the chairwoman of the, the delaware gop in a, in what was an upset so uh you know that's uh she's a great lady too i think she's she also fought um at, it, she fought an, another election fraud example i think it was the uh something to do with the mail-in ballots i forget the case but it but it definitely changed Del delaware was about to go to mail-in ballots and uh she challenged it and, and on on constitutional grounds and won so uh you know but I don't think it made a, a unfortunately a much of a difference statewide we're sort of stuck on stupid in that state um as doug as you know uh it's very difficult to break through we saw decent candidates come through uh john brady uh our friend john brady an attorney who's an attorney at law uh, a, a really sharp legal mind um he's he's going to probably be a guest as well um i'm going to invite him on but um so uh doug let me ask you this uh you're you're you know you're uh your dad basically and i don't mean to stay on your dad the whole time but um you were estranged from him you said for 26 years so during that period you you went in the navy right and then uh i wanted you to talk a little bit about your time in atlantic city when you were uh you, you worked on it was a security guard because you worked for the trump organization and what struck me was that back in 2015 when trump started running and we were discussing this you were talking about what lies it was uh, for them to say that he was misogynist or he discriminated against women or he didn't, uh, you know, in, in terms of uh, there were accusations that he had uh, uh, committed racial discrimination with his father in housing when they, I guess they own buildings in New York City. But your experience was quite different uh, in what you saw with, you know, for the brief time that he had uh, Trump Casino. Um, could you talk about that and, and, and you know, just give, sure. tell me what your... Well, I, I came to Atlantic City, and this is actually about the time my dad and I had a falling out. When I first got out of the Navy, I was kind of a handful. And I was riding around on my 900cc motorcycle and, you know, just doing wild stuff. And uh, my parents needed a break, so they sent me down to work on the set with dad. And I did okay. I didn't cause too much trouble. I got to hang out with Bubba Smith and Jim Neighbors. That was really cool. So... I'm kind of hanging out with dad. And then um, he wanted me to come home with him to Los Angeles. And Bubba Smith was going to get me on the lot of Blue Thunder. And after that, it was up to me. But, you know, I might have gone out there to pursue a career in acting or maybe some kind of production assistant, something like that. And uh, my stepmother put the kibosh on it. What I didn't know was that her parents, she was Long Island blue blood. Her uncle was Mayor Cott of New York. So. She told her parents that Ned had been married once before and had two children. They didn't know that he'd been married twice and had six children. So that was a problem. <laughs> and they tried to 
kind of keep us. And that's what, you know, caused the rip. So I got to Atlantic City and I'm actually driving a cab. And one of the cab drivers says, yo, man, did you hear what your dad said about you on the radio show? And I'm like, no, my dad's not on no radio show out here, man. He's on the West Coast. They said, no, he's in Baltimore filming this thing called Homicide, Life on the Street. And somebody asked him about you. And he said, we don't discuss people like that. So that um that led to me making some poor decisions. And mm-hmm. long story short, when I finally arrived at the set of Homicide in Baltimore, actors pretending to be cops were trying to escort me off the set. And I actually had um, a special police officer's badge in my pocket that was no longer active. So it was kind of an interesting evening. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I bet, man. I, that, oh, I'm I sorry. I'm sorry that happened to you. That's, that that uh, kind of oh, stinks no, having a, your... Yeah, it, things happen in that business. I mean, you know, from being in the radio business, any entertainment, it's all advertising. And it gets, yeah. gets to be pretty dirty at times. But what happened in Atlantic City was I finally got a job in a casino. I'd gone to blackjack dealing school and I was taking roulette. So I had a really strong license. And Doug, I had I'm a really gonna, good I, record. We got we to take a quick uh, commercial break here. And I just hold that thought. We'll pick up right there. Uh, after these okay. uh, commercial messages here on today's News Talk. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. The cyclone that's in the north of Australia is kind of unusual for an El Nino season. That's because we have not really had an El Nino season this year in Australia. The Southern Oscillation Index, the longest running measure of the ENSO, or El Nino, La Nina, has not cooperated at all. And we knew this was a problem way back in the Northern Hemisphere fall in our spring because we weren't seeing a lot of typhoons. Usually when you have a big El Nino, you have a lot of typhoons going off and we had the third lowest typhoon production on record. So something funky was going on. However, that Southern Oscillation Index is going to crash for the month of February, which means that our fall should be average in Australia. Now I'm bringing all this up because that crash in February is linked to severe cold in the United States and Europe for February into March. And we're seeing another ferocious storm attacking Norway now. A lot of heavy rain is coming into Europe over the next week. Now the two times that happened, it turned frigid in Europe. Same thing is going to happen. Mid-February to mid-March will be frigid in Europe. You see all these storms crashing into the United States? Well, guess what? It's going to turn frigid in the United States. In fact, for much of the United States, the worst of the winter is on the way. And just think, it all hinges on looking at the weather around Australia. Isn't that nice? Hands across the water. Australia, the States, and Europe. Kumbaya. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog Meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. We are for pets. We do anything for them because they do everything for us. We are for people, for those who love pets unconditionally. We are for good, from adoptions and veterinary care to disaster relief and fighting pet hunger. We stand together to create a better world for pets and families in need. We are PetSmart Charities, for pets, for people, for good. Clear and concise. This is the Tyler Nixon Show on today's News Talk TNT. Welcome back. My guest, Doug Beatty, a uh, good friend, a for, uh, for fellow radio broadcaster uh, who was raised by hippies, wolves, and communists. Uh, his, his father, actor Ned Beatty, uh, who many of you may know from o- over the years. 
And we were talking about uh, Doug working in Atlantic City for the Trump Casino and something that he observed that uh, I thought was interesting, which was totally inconsistent with the narrative that was uh, spun up about uh, our uh, our 45th president. Uh, Doug, what, what, what did you what did you see about the Trump organization that was uh, made made uh, made liars, frankly, of the uh, leftists in the media? Um, in about 1986, when I worked there, Donald John Trump was a woke, gun-grabbing azoid. Something's wrong with my mic. <laughs> yeah, he, um, the boy was a mess. And you could work there if you were a white male. But if you wanted to get promoted and you were a heterosexual white male, or even one of my Harley-riding friends who wasn't necessarily straight was too macho acting, you basically had to go to another casino. And my roommate was a beautiful young lady that preferred the company of other ladies. Not only did she get transferred to the Baccarat pit, like, you know, prestige table, she was allowed to dress like a male in a male's tuxedo uniform. So it was, and this, just, was this, this was the Trump organization, you're saying? At Trump organization, um, Donald yeah. Trump was a celebrity. His secret code name that was never said on the radio was the hairdo. Everybody was afraid of Ivana. I worked there shortly after Eric was born, and there were stories about her being pregnant that still terrify people to this day. Now, one yeah. thing I did really notice was the guy that hired me was a black man, and he was the director of security, which was pretty unusual at that time. His name was Donald Patterson. He later went on to become the inspector general of Pennsylvania. He was with Mr. Trump for a long time. And between Donald Patterson and Donald Trump, they totally smashed the union. I mean, this is during my communist period. I actually voted for Gus Hall in that election. What? And Trump came. Yeah. Yeah. I was. A you never told me that. Yeah. I, I have a past. And we were oh all kind God. of like young commies. I mean, you know, we're in New Jersey to each according to their needs from each. You know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and there was an agitator in there trying to get us all to join the union. So when he found out I was from Virginia, he tried racism with me, which, you know, as you know, didn't really work. No, but the thing not. is that Trump and his supervisors killed this guy with kindness. If he complained about anything, they made it up with sugar on top. I mean, it was just, it was unbelievable. And the Trump communist uh, security force, which I was a part of, voted out the union. He also quashed a wildcat strike at his properties only when I worked at a property that had a wildcat strike. So I'm here crossing a picket line in a chef's jacket with a baseball bat and a sign that says scab, keep the kitchen open, and then I'm going to go deal blackjack. And uh, meanwhile, over at uh, Trump's casino, right across the street from Harris, no trouble at all. Mm -hmm. So he's really underestimated by a lot of people. But as far as, you know, we had a, a man that was a cocktail waitress then did not dress out in the men's locker room because that was my shift, I would have noticed. And his name yeah. was Kelly. Um, it was just, we were so far ahead of, we had the only male cocktail waiter joey which was kelly's special friend and he wore a tuxedo and he didn't have to tell people what his persuasion was he pretty well advertised it so to accuse donald trump of being homophobic misogynist um racist and all these things was just complete balderall but now the person that was my roommate then is pretty anti-trump now but it's for other reasons he apparently just pulled out and bankrupted and saved himself when atlantic city got in trouble and his buildings are eyesores there now. But he was a magnificent big box employer. But if you were a white male, I mean, I had to go to Harris Marina to get behind a table.
Yeah, that's well, you know, that's amazing because uh, you would think he was like, again, as I said before, some sort of uh, homophobic, misogynistic, racist employer in all the Trump organizations. Yeah. Whereas, uh, you know, what you're saying is not only was he not that, but he was actually probably beyond what you even see now in some cases. I mean, New Jersey, while it's a Democrat state, a blue state, obviously, or leans, at, you know, like Delaware, it's sort of migrated in that direction for the most part with the fairly uh, substantial majority is not exactly it's more like the old uh you know ward boss democrat uh um east coast you know like ward healer type of democrat uh so-called left it's definitely wasn't you know the kind of woke place you would find so for for trump to have done that back in the 80s uh not that i necessarily agree with it but it's at least it puts the lie to the mainstream bs narrative that we've been fed about trump um, and, you know, which is reflected in the fact that he's buddies with Don King, with Mike Tyson, with all these, uh, you know, uh, famous black, uh, you know, uh, 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 what do you, athletes, politicians, or excuse me, celebrities, Al Sharpton, um, you know, but they they continue this, this uh, it's, the, you know, we're living on this mass delusion that they've created about, you know, orange man bad. And, and it's like, they can't even point back to anything specific anymore. It's just like, oh, 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 oh this is 91 felony indictments. You know, now that, that they've, they've moved beyond the, uh, the defamation campaign, falsely accusing him of being whatever have you, racist, misogynist, et cetera. And now it's on to, oh, he's, he's, a, he's a felon. He's involved in this. Uh, you know, Doug, you, you, you're a close observer. I mean, you're, you're, you're a sharp mind. I think you, you could have easily have been a good attorney. Uh, made a great attorney if you had uh, wanted to do that. What do you think of all the prosecutions going on right now uh, around the country? I mean, how, you know, just as someone who's worked with law enforcement or at least on the fringes of it, uh, you know, do, do you see any, I mean, it, it, you know, plus you have an everyman view. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on that, on each one. You can take them individually or as a whole. Well, just as, as a whole, and I'm talking about the civil and the criminal prosecutions, and these cases that are just paper thin. I mean, you know, and I know that we presented um, entities, I have certainly, with much stronger evidence than what they're giving up on uh, President Trump of things that were really bad that happened. And now people will ask the question, well, why do we have that Emmett Till bill? Why do we need an anti-lynching law? How much time do you have? How much would you like to know? Uh, so, and and other things that just, they don't move the needle. You can't report anything to the FBI right now. You can't talk to an agent, you get a telescreener. There's, um, there's just no way to, to access justice except for if the state wants to enact it. And this is where I get tripped up on the word fascism. I don't think a lot of people know where the word comes from. I believe that you would being an attorney because it comes from fasces, the bundle of sticks around the scroll of laws around an ax that Italy carried right. around. And basically the message was might makes right. You yeah. know, we have the right to do this because we are strong enough to do this. And that's what's happening now. Look at the J6 prisoners. Look at the ongoing prosecution of President Trump and his co-defendants. Look at what kind of shaky grounds these cases are on. A special prosecutor that was never properly appointed. You've got a, another one with an improper relationship and, you know, allegations of things being done wrong with state money. I think they're all going to fall apart, and I, I believe it is just election interference. But the problem is the people seem to be waking up to it. Maybe I'm an optimist. But, you know, when I started saying this back in 2015, when you cry wolf incessantly at a certain point, people aren't going to listen. 
And I think we're at that point now where former President Trump could do something really horrific against the norms of society and people will just overlook it because he's been accused of everything in the world. And even though he wasn't found guilty of rape in that civil trial, the first one, people are going around saying he's a convicted rapist. You just get so far outside the realm of what is known to be true and what can be true. And I think you lose all credibility. I think that's where a point we're approaching. Maybe I'm too optimistic, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I know you, I mean, you fund, put your point, uh, finger on a fundamental point here, um, which is that, you know, Donald Trump would not be able to get away with uh, what he even has jokingly suggested. It's, it's, you know, I could go out and shoot somebody and they would still vote for me. Um, he doesn't he's not able to say that or get away with the things that he does, which which isn't really getting away with anything. But it's just, uh, you know, pushing back against this juggernaut against him. Were people not basically uh, at, at this point in the know? I mean, I guess it's been proven to them enough that they know he's not what they say he is, no matter what they say about him, which because it's just I mean, it's like, you know, we'll believe our lying eyes as you I mean, as you alluded, this man has been around since the 1980s. He was a he was a world celebrity in the 80s. I mean, you're talking 30, 40 years ago uh, before he even got to his his uh, successful run for president in 2016. So it's like. I, you know, I honestly feel like the public tolerated it. They elected the, they elected him and thought, well, you know what? We elected him. Um, but the, the vitriol and the lies, the defamation have been so, I mean, it's like these people, I, I don't, on the left, basically the, the smear merchants and the fabricators and the persecutors, um, it, it's kind of a, a as much, um, you know, more so than anything it says about Donald Trump is how far removed they are from reality that they don't seem to understand they're they're so and this is sad because these people are supposed to have their ears to the ground of the public interest of the public's uh, what the public wants, especially the politicians. And they're clueless about how people truly view Donald Trump because they're so deranged in their own. I, I don't know. It's like he broke a lot of people's brains where they just have this unhinged uh it's it is when i say unhinged it's literally unhinged because it, it's not it's not moored or connected to any reality that we can observe or anything that's true about donald trump they've had to invent these things and now we're just off in outer space where it's like we're, we're, we're he's a criminal therefore we're we're prosecuting him you know they've concluded this like general he's a bad guy so we're going to go after him no matter what we have to do and what what it takes and uh it, it it really is pissing a lot of people off, number one, because uh, first of all, they know that's not true and, and they don't like nobody likes to see an innocent person railroaded. And especially when they're they're piling on the way they are, it's like let off. I mean, you people are just you're driving the American people's you're driving the, them into his arms, the American people. And as we see in the polls, and that's fine with me uh, and discrediting themselves at the same time. But more, but worse, I think they're setting, they're, you know, they're, these people are establishing precedents where you, they can get away with this stuff with impunity. And that's my problem. That's my biggest issue, um, again, is the fact that, I mean, he he's correct when he said, you know, they're, they're coming after me, but you're the target ultimately. And it is, it's true. Because if they can do this to Donald Trump, and I know it sounds cliche, but it's it's very much true. They will crush anybody. There's no one who would stand there in the way of a completely thoroughly corrupt Department of Justice and FBI who willy nilly will just send a, a SWAT raid after you, as we've seen them doing with people who are Christian uh, activists. I mean, you know, spying on and keeping lists of 
uh, Catholics who happen to like like the Roman mass. I mean, this is just, you know, this is so into uh, totalitarian uh, sort of Orwellian dictatorship that, uh, you know, I thank God for Donald Trump because he's been a canary in the coal mine. Otherwise, I mean, we would have, I mean, you can imagine if Hillary had gotten elected in 2016, man, we'd be so far down the road to just uh, perdition, war, or probably world war, uh, and just the complete annihilation of any sort of uh, representative government. Yeah, the the big thing, though, that is getting to me is where is our moral threshold going to end up? Because right now, you know, I know people on the left, and I'm sure you do too, who feel like they are totally justified in all their hatred, all their vitriol, and everything yeah. they have to do to get Trump. Because if they don't get Trump, it's the end of the world. And if you look at it realistically, for some of these people, it could very well be the end of the world as they know it. If they were involved in crimes, if they were, you know, saying things oh, yeah. that weren't true. And I mean, this could be a this could be a major issue because you get that line. It's very high bar with a public figure, but knowingly and maliciously. I mean, uh, I think the last famous case I heard about was Henry Ford. And he sued a newspaper for libel because they called him ignorant. And he proved to a jury that he wasn't. Yeah. Well, but you know, I'll tell you, I, Doug, that uh, these people, I just was reading comments on Twitter and look, Twitter may not be representative of every, you know, everybody on the Democrat left, right. but I mean, it, 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 it's a good, you know, it's a good sort of uh, symbology in a sense of them. And I was reading one post, uh, one, one Twitter, I don't even know if it was a fake account or a bop, whatever it was, but it had, for example, a picture of Ashley Babbitt and it said, uh, I got, or, uh, you should get your shot. I got mine. You know, like obviously right. mixing it with the vaccine stuff. But I mean, I thought this is disgusting. Like these people are dead. I mean, nobody, it's just they're, they're vicious, inhumane, ruthless. I mean, it, you know, they're, they're literally in the rhetoric, one step away from the level of genocidal uh, animus that the Nazis harbored or any of these countries, any of these uh, dict dictatorships that would liquidate people uh, by dehumanizing them and, and, uh, you know, talking about them just as if they're they're trash they're not even worth living and it's just it's shocking when you read that stuff and i and i you know i want to push back on something like that but it's like you know what they're, they're they're trash they're they're too far gone let's just hope we can yeah. convince other people by pointing saying look at this freak here look at this scumbag who just uh, casts aside human life you know like an innocent unarmed person who's shot and they it's not even a matter of like well you know what law and order it was justified no they're reveling in it they love it they they are literally like might as well you know bathe in the woman's blood and the same thing with roseanne boylan and and this is why we see a a bunch of people locked up in a disgusting dank dc gulag of a prison uh you know run by a bunch of of, of you know overweight fat excuse me fat ass uh prison guards that, that you know you probably came across during your time in dc or their types um who are just basically the 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 the, the low-level stormtroopers for the Democrat fascist establishment? Um, something's got to give, Doug. But let's uh, you know we got about a minute left, and um, or a little less than that. And uh, closing thoughts from you. Well, I think the country is on a trajectory that can be great, but we have to turn back to what made us great in the first place, and that's going to be the big thing. Can we do that? And uh, got to get a little bit preachy here. We were funded, founded on a promise to God. Maybe we need to turn back to God and stop throwing them out of everything. That's my Amen. thought today. Amen, brother, man. I, you know, you, you said it 
perfectly. Uh, you know, we've turned away from God and God's going to turn away from us if we continue to do that. People have no respect or reverence anymore for institutions, but let's hope we can get it back because I think people genuinely thirst for that as human beings. Uh, they search, search for greater meaning. This has been the Tyler Nixon Show for Monday, February 5th, 2024.